Do I, I, I ask the questions, don't I? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My first question is, I guess, a very basic one. Um, Matt told me that you had found your um, Indigenous heritage, and then how? Um, yeah, I was wanting to ask that the story behind that and then how it's affecting the practices of sculptural design. Found is not, well, it's a funny word. We, like, our family always knew, um, like, of our ancestry, but we never knew where my grandfather was from. So he was adopted into a white family when he was um, two or three. His mother died giving birth, my great-grandmother died giving birth uh, to the youngest of the family. Um, And so they were given to this white family and uh, in this little town, Bulladila, where he's from, and we sort of didn't know anything. And he... um, my grandfather was a sort of, you know, post-war violent alcoholic, and so he, um, you know, he it wasn't a very pleasant ch- childhood for my father, and so my old man kind of distanced himself um, from anything to do with his old man, and then, and that also meant that the the family unit itself became sort of fractured. Or the, there was three other brothers that went off to the war, World War Two and um, came back, they were all living in Brisbane and um, none of them ever saw each other and so all the family kind of got um, disconnected in that way and so it wasn't until uh, my dad's cousin, or one of my dad's cousins um, wanted to uh, reconnect to the family and she was, she knew sort of just more about where we were from, you know. and so when she came back into my dad's life, we were able to kind of put all of the pieces together. Like, we didn't know... Because there's no... Like, he has no birth certificate. There's no records. Um, like, his parents, my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather, Aboriginal people, they have no... Um, there's no records of them anywhere. And so there was no way to kind of put the pieces together sort of thing. And um, I don't really know how, how my dad's cousin managed um, I don't really know how it all happened but um, yeah so that's how we were able to kind of figure out where we were from but we always knew um, that that was our story we just didn't know and it wasn't really anything that um, that we really spoke about because it was sort of not a very um, pleasant topic for my dad you know he never even mentioned his father until I was in my teens yeah. um, and so it was just nothing. It was just something that wasn't spoken about, you know. But um, you know, we were all involved in Canberra, and so like Arnie Matilda, who is you know the Ngunnawal elder, Nambri elder, you know, she's known my parents since they moved to Canberra in the early seventies. Um, she's known me my whole life, so it was sort of it was always a part of our life that being part of that world and that community. But you know, just nothing that I kind of because of my old man, nothing that I really um, felt was my place to, um, you know, take ownership of until he was ready, you know? Right. That's really interesting, the notion of, like, having a place. Mm. Or um, have you seen Joel Bray's performance? At no, no, I feel it's good, though. Um, it's post-colonial work that talks about, you know, his, you know, misplacement mm. and... Um, lack of categorization because he is of indigenous mm, like mm, you are mm, mm, and um, mm. you know, um, yeah it's a funny thing I mean I think you know 
there was always a um, a point of distress, I guess, in our family because we knew, you know, we'd, we'd sort of people would say things. I remember going to high school when I started high school and kids were like, what are you? I remember, and they'd never really been asked that before. I don't feel like I like, look any different, but I did to the other kids at school. And um, I'd always sort of say, oh, well, you know, my grandfather's Aboriginal, but I never... Um, I'd never made that leap to me, you know, because that, because of the sort of fractured sense of our family, it was always really this like removed, dislocated thing, right. you know. Yeah. He died, um, yeah, in the sixties, the mid sixties. My grandfather, um, when my dad was only twenty, and so um, it was he was this was just like this distant memory sort of thing, you know, for, even for my old man. Um, That's an infuriating trauma to have carried. Yeah, yeah, well, it was. I mean, and I think that's sort of why now, I guess, you know, it was like this kind of alignment of things, yeah, because it has always been, particularly for my dad, uh, very distressing because, I mean, he had been looking for his family or he'd been looking or trying to find through what we, I guess you would call like a colonial framework um, a history, a family history, and it's, it's sort of... There's not that many crosses in Australia, you know. It's not a very common surname, and... Um, all of them except us have their their origins in the first or second fleet and so the the other crosses that are part of those those branches you know they're able to kind of figure it out and so it was extremely distressing for my dad especially but just more confusing as a young person because you know everyone knows their grandparents or whatever most people anyway i mean i grew up in a tiny little town and um it was always kind of mildly embarrassing to just not have any information, you know, just yeah. like, I don't know, you know, don't know anything about it. My grandfather's Aboriginal, that's all I know, you know. And so we just never spoke about it. Um, just was like this taboo subject in our family, more or less. And so then when I grew up into an adult, you know, it sort of stayed the same, yeah, until I was able to, like, know definitively where he was from, where he grew up, who his parents were, and from then you know, forever, you know, once we knew exactly where we were from, the whole world changed, basically. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And what kind of catalyst catalyzed that? Um, what do you mean, what do you mean? Um, catalyzed this process of discovery and stuff. Oh, well, it was like, yeah, when my cousin turned up and she was able to, well, my dad's cousin, my cousin oh, turned yeah. up and was able to kind of put all these dots together and say, well, this is where this is where your grandfather was born, this is his extended family, um, this is where he grew up, um, this is the country that you're from and he's from, um, and they, these are his relatives. Um, this, I mean, it's like this funny thing, like you kind of, you know, there was always this hole present, but it wasn't until the hole was filled that I realised how deep it was. Right. You know, and how kind of all-encompassing it was um, and how how much it actually had affected so much in my life, but because it was just the only thing that I knew, um, that was just the way it was. But yeah, it wasn't until all of a sudden this kind of like I said, this this reservoir was full that I realised, yeah, fuck, it was a big big hole in my life and all of our my whole entire family, not just me. Yeah, like a yeah. crabapple that's been affected by you know its surrounding context. Yeah. It's it was pretty weird I mean it was like you know it was weird and it wasn't in the fact in the sense that it was like well we always kind of knew that that was the case but 
we just never had a sort of... And, I mean, it's one of those dumb things where it's like, you know, because of the world we live in, if you can see something on paper, somehow it makes it more real, you know? I feel like with a lot of anthropological study, they do put a lot of emphasis in that. Yeah, of course. Because, um, you know, the first anthropologi- anthropologists were considered armchair anthropologists who expected everything to be delivered to them. Right. But then um, it, there was progression into sort of... Um, making the unfamiliar familiar and making the familiar unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, um, yeah, I've got a lot to say about that, but <laughs> in terms of, like, finding that, I um, it can somewhat, like, um, that's intense to say, thanks. <laughs> but um, what I've um, discovered in my own understanding of what being Australian is, is um, this disconnect of biological... Um, almost nurturing to the space or like nurturing um, of the space in some ways because my parents are also immigrants and I'm first generation Australian I do have this immense disconnection with my lineage and with mm. my family mm. um, I'm very lucky that I know which tribe I come from which I feel like wow. is um, where are your parents from? Uh, they're both they're from um, um how do I, I guess modern day Beijing and then oh, wow. also my, my dad's from more of a country like middle middle um, land but um, our ancestral tribe is the Jurchid which was conquered by the Mongolians and conquered wow. um, and so therefore being first generation Australian um, and I fi- I've, I've only also discovered that information about my family lineage at the beginning of last year but um, still I do feel this like immense disconnection from you know mm. family and family mm. settings as well mm. because the largest family I've no- ever known really is just my immediate mm. family and mm. I don't have the like um, stereotypical outer family to go into um, same it was the same for us it was just the four of us growing up really you know yeah yeah and um finding connections with family members be it through you know travel um does leave you with this um disconnection that you feel because there's i have the i i have this feeling every time i go back to china um china that um even though you don't belong socially and politically to that environment and to that context, mm. you're biologically you know, mm. like so inept to that environment. Mm. And we're all the products of failure. For example, we like consider the, the thousands of people who died in our tribes migrating from one environment to the next mm. because of lack of vitamin absorption. But then, you know, it's beautiful that our skin colours and our features are formed to, like, um, to exploit our landscape in a way. And I'm... Um, Every time I do go back to that landscape and to that environment, I do feel at home, but mm. in a very strange way because, oh, I understand um, that. yeah, this, uh, yeah. It's like that yeah. when I go. So my my grandfather, our family, through my father's side, of war on my people, and he was from this place called Buladila, yeah. um, which is like two and a half hours north of Sydney. And, um, yeah, I mean, I understand that completely. It's the same whenever I go back there. Um, it's, it's, it's indescribable, you know, that, that, that kind of 
I don't know. I mean, it's indescribable. So there's not real much. There's no much. Not much point in trying to. But um, strange. Yeah. It's more like strange things happens. Last time I was there, for example, um, there's this um, kind of campground that we go to. And this is me and my partner, and we go there whenever we're up there. And it's near this um, midden site. And um, every time we go, weird things happen. But this last time we went, um, there was this old dingo walking around and she came and sort of stopped and then just walked over and sat down and slept right next to us for about two hours just sort of lying there and um, every now and again she would look up and and look at me and sort of uh, I mean I think she was smiling but she would sort of just look see that we're still there seeing that I'm there go back to sleep you know and um, uh, it's profound and I mean you sort of it was my, my Bridget, my fiance. She was the one who sort of said, uh, "You that was an ancestor visiting you," wow. um, and he sort of it's a, you know, it could have been. It was like hanging out with a pet, you know, um, the, the the closeness, the intimacy. But it, she was this old dingo, you know, wild dog, and so it's things like that when they happen that you're kind of reminded of of a. Um, you know, of something bigger going on and a, and a deeper sense of, of belonging to a place and um, returning to a place and being welcomed back to a place um, where you've always been from, you know. Um, and, and, you know, things like other, other things like that have happened every time we've been and it always sort of makes you feel a bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just realised something when you were saying that um, and I had this pivotal moment in space-time and realisation when two dots come together to make a phenomenological bang <laughs> an explosion um, I definitely like um, relate to like, well not relate but you know um, I'm inspired by that um, whole belonging on different fra- fragments of time mm-hmm. um, it's biological belonging and also social, political belonging, contextual belonging. Um, I feel like that's influenced my practice in a lot in that I like to cover my face and I love um, in the performance art installations that I do, a lot of it is creating an ambiguity of the body because I feel like I would would consider myself um, belonging to this... uh, post-colonial Australian context yeah, but yeah. the thing is that the only thing that holds back from that is the my features of mm-hmm. Asian heritage mm-hmm. um, and so that's what has um, I just realised that as well I was like oh, that might be why <laughs> maybe maybe that's beautiful um, this notion yeah of, of creating just a soul body or like removing removing aspects that predetermine us into categories mm. but, um, mm. yeah what about you that's a very broad question it's a very broad question I mean in terms of my work yeah um, yeah I mean I think that actually I dissolve my body in my work a lot yeah. um, I mean I guess coming from a dance choreographic background into a visual art world um, the body still appears a lot mm. Um, because it's a tool that I'm sort of moderately comfortable with using or it's a kind of a default tool that I'm used to using. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, often when and if my body appears is masked in some way or uh, altered in some way, or you know, but I think as well. I mean, that's a kind of um, that's a, a practical tool so that you can de-identify or that the viewer can de-identify, and it's not then about it's not a, you, the individual. It's not a self-portrait. No, no, that's right. Unless it is, um, but no, that's right. I think because the face is obviously so powerful. Um, we're sort of, you know, evolutionarily uh, attuned to faces and facial features um, that they're impossible not to look at if they're, you know, in a picture plane in some form, you know. And so I try to, if the body is our body and not my body, then, yeah, I'll, I'll also um, obliterate or mask yeah. As a, as a strategy, yeah. Seems to work. What techniques do you use to mask? <laughs> it sort of depends. I mean, I often will wear this, like, mask. Um, sorry, man, it's going to rustle. Um, is that it? No. Oh, where is it? Um, but anyway, it's this, like, ghillie suit mask that I like to... I don't know what I've done with it. Sorry, listeners, this is like I'm rustling around in my <laughs> studio shit. Um, I'll often use that, or um, lately I've been... The other gene crosses. Yeah, yeah, right, so you know, that's of course, that's right, that's right. Um, I love that. So, I mean, they're, I've kind of blurred them out, I guess, a lot, because A, it makes them... You have to kind of look harder, I guess, but B, because it's sort of... I like that actually this, the boundary around self-portraiture, portraiture and landscape is a very blurry one. Mm. And particularly so in, in like Aboriginal culture where you are your country and so you kind of, that boundary is just not really there. Um, and, and so it seems to make sense then to, to, I don't know how I would describe that kind of, Blur. I don't know, dissolve maybe? It'd be a technical term for that, I just don't know what it is. There's a much more to say. <laughs> but I'm also like, um, a little bit like, I should know like how to phrase myself to There's a, an employee working at the moment at Carriageworks who is, um, um, Aboriginal, uh, Aboriginal Australian, Indigenous Australian, um, and she's just saying about um, her work being perceived as solely Indigenous Australian yeah. artworks. And who is this? Um, um, sort of work does she make? She's working in the programs department at Casualworks, but she's a um, visual artist or a painter. Mm. And a common criticism that she said, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, common criticism that she said that she receives is oh wait no she was saying this at your workshop oh yeah was where are the dots yeah yeah um yeah. And I was wondering if you connected with that in the sense of being perceived as like, an indigenous Australian yeah definitely I mean it's a fucking major problem yeah um in that there's an expectation I mean the problem firstly is that everyone thinks they know best yeah. or know better um when actually really generally most people don't know anything um, and so, and I mean, that's the, the kind of rawest way to say it. Um, 
it's perhaps more that as humans we this we sort of just try and simplify very complicated kind of things because it's just too much for us to grasp otherwise but yeah i mean there's a a, a broader or um accepted sense that to to make aboriginal art is to work in a very particular type of vernacular um and anything outside of that sort of just i mean it's not so simple anymore but there's a kind of um a general sense that that's kind of the case and that's a a, a, like a more of a global sort of perception around around what it is you know um and that the dots have a certain history and they have a kind of their own lineage but they're from a very particular part of uh, our continent um and therefore have nothing really to do with a lot of people um but in some ways it's sort of useful because it always then gives you this kind of um counter you know to work against or there's always you can always sort of return to it as an idea which i often do i mean i kind of have this joke that all of my work somewhere you'll find a dot because it's not aboriginal art unless there's a dot somewhere um um but it's sort of you know that's just being silly though really obviously um but I think you know it's it's not it's not just your art too though, and I think it's you know there's an expectation around you know what you're kind of how you're supposed to even be, how you're supposed to look, um, the type of family you're supposed to come from, um, all sorts of stuff. That's just not necessarily the case. I mean, I couldn't really give a shit about the rabbitos, you know. Yeah. Doesn't you know? I fucking hate it. it doesn't interest me. Um, but somehow, you know. Does that make me less of an Aboriginal person? Maybe, I don't know, but obviously it shouldn't. But um, here we are in Redfern, I, you know, I couldn't, I don't care about the rabbits. But, um, but it's, it's sort of, it sounds silly, but there's a, there's a kind of a truth to it, though, you know, um, where you're always kind of um, up against people's expectations uh, of you because it's also it's much harder to remain open to people and to kind of let them reveal themselves as opposed to just making up your own mind, you know, about who and what they are and all the rest of it. So um, it, it's, it's more active. It takes a more active person to kind of stay open and unfixed about, you know, anything really. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> Good. I don't know. Got me rambling. No, yeah. Rambling is always <laughs> You can you can edit that out, Matt, if you like. No. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. What I wanted to ask is, um, what are, in terms of what you were saying, what are your perceptions then about boundaries and um, boundaries in terms of country boundaries? As in national boundaries? National boundaries and more specifically... Um, there's something that you know uh, a term out there called um, cultural um, evolution which is a very very weird name to name it but the theory is basically just that we're all in such um, a fractally structured community for example you can be best friend you you can prioritize your sister over your parents but Mm. you would prioritize your family over another family you would prioritize your 
your suburb or another suburb and um, so on and so forth and you would prioritise your state over other states like in football mm. and rugby mm. you would prioritise your country in comparison to other things mm. um, and so mm, having a like a very very basic sense of that notion has sort of generated a lack of trust of like boundaries for me in a sense mm. um, and I wondered what like um like your considerations of um this notion and betraying <laughs> okay let me let me let me I'll roll with that okay so i mean on the one hand they serve a function and they exist so therefore at some point in time they were perhaps useful. Um, because um, what you were saying before with like a distillation of a subject to its essence, for example, mm. like just the white dots being a representation of all of it, like mm, Indigenous mm, art. Mm, um, mm, mm. Um, and then I lost the second part of my answer. <laughs> but, um, um, I mean, it's, it, it depends on the day, really. I mean, in some days I, I'm kind of like a, a one-world, no-borders no sort of person. Mm. Um, in, a, in a kind of practical sense because I think that we're actually already living in that world um, and that the kind of enforcement of borders and boundaries... Are we, are we talking like national sovereignty kind of boundaries? Yeah. The, then they kind of... They can and do create problems. Of course, because, uh, like, once again, we see the um, impl implementation of one method over, yeah. like... The variety that have existed mm. in the same time frame and for equally as long. Yeah, that's right, and and exactly, and I think that's sort of where it becomes impractical, um, because sort of what's been built alongside that sort of system is a value system, where the one or the other is valued over the other, and then whatever seems to be valued more is then kind of given more power, you know. I mean, the good example at the moment are the Kurds who really have just been asking for a country for the past, I don't know, thousand years, um, trying to identify as a unique sovereign state with customs the rest of it like, like everyone else. And I think from my understanding, my limited, very limited understanding... Um, in the 20s, post-World War One, that was sort of a signature away from being established as a sovereign state, um, Kurdistan. Um, wow. And um, can you... Um, because I'm also very, like, um, like very new to that. Can you sort of contextualise that? In, um, like, sort of where they were located? Well, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I think, like, a lot of um, the... It, the, the the like the boundaries and the where they are just depends on at what point in history the history book was written. Right, yeah, know, and yeah. The, the geography book was written. I don't know. Um, I, I couldn't tell you where definitively. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I generally try and also refrain from using the term Middle East. I mean, I I try and think of it as West Asia, um, not the Middle East. Yeah. West um, but the in that sort of region, um, the kind of the, the nexus of t 
Turkey and Syria, where they are currently in that mountainous region, um, would be my guess. But, um, I mean, it's a good example. They're, they're, all they're asking for is the opportunity to look after themselves, you know, self-determine, make up their own rules for themselves, um, have be able to have their own customs and yeah. all the rest of it, you know. No, are you talking about the Wayward people? Well, I'm, I'm talking about the people that are identifying as Kurdish. I don't know. I think, yeah, no. I, Is that yeah. a, are they the same thing? I don't know. Um, the Wayward people are an, an ethnic tribe that are associated with, I think, the Kurd. Um, oh, right. Because there I, you think, go. Um, I think, um, I think that word is just, I think I'm remembering a few well, that's always good. Um, it was actually pretty, pretty funny because the first type of my first encounters with dance and free movement was ethnic, or not ethnic, tradi- traditional and very quotation marks, um, um, like Western Asian dance such as Weira. Um, okay. It's spelt very weirdly, but I think it's pronounced Uyghur. Oh, Uyghur. No, then, so Uyghurs are um, like another thing, separate. Oh, I mean, they're suffering their own persecutions right okay then uh, I, I'm no completely separate you know yeah. a completely similar struggle yep. similar levels of persecution the Uyghurs are being persecuted by the Chinese government um, the Kurds are being persecuted by the Turkish government right yeah um, same story though a, a unique um, Islamic centred uh, community or, or group um being persecuted. I mean, it seems to be the, the common story. Like um, the Rohingya as well um, in, in uh, Myanmar. Uh, but yeah, so in that sense, borders create problems, right? Yeah. Um, um, coming back to the question. Um, I actually always, like, um, when, when I do think about the borders and sovereign states and sovereign borders... So some boundaries as well. Um, we always think about the Uyghur people in a very mm. like uh, I feel like in a very um, like a, not in a very understanding way in some ways because you know they're the most visually I feel like they're very beautiful because they wow. have very like strong Turkish noses but then they're also like distinctively Asian as well. Right, right, yeah. Um, and and that's just like, I f- think that I'm capitalising off the beauty I find in that and then applying it to this notion, which is very, like, um, single-minded and very, like, <laughs> still, but... Don't beat yourself up about it. <laughs> I'm also at that, like, um, you know, at that age where I'm just, like... Don't cement anything into <laughs> anything yet because you don't know what your practice is and you don't know what anything is yet. So. You never will. Don't worry about it. Great. You know. but There's no point in knowing. I mean, that's when it gets boring. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I moved away from dance because it sort of, uh, it occurred to me how dance illiterate everybody is. Right. Um, and so then how easy it is to... Um, to make and do and kind of impress if that's what you're trying to do or or perhaps conversely how um, common it was for 
shit shows, shit ideas and shit dances to, to be around getting work, you know. Right, yeah. Um, because there was no, there's no, like, quality control, you know. Yeah, because um, it's a body and we all have one. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not even that profound. It's just that some people can dance better than others. Yeah. Some people can think better than others, you know, in a kind of choreographic sense. I mean, better, I mean, I, I don't often use that word, but um, it's, it's serve, it serves a purpose. Um, and, but because you have an audience who are generally illiterate, dance illiterate, um, you know, they go along and, like, have a good time. And, and then they drive it, the market. You know? It sort of, it seems like, you know, you might have a show that was awful but has good good audiences and good reviews because, again, even the reviewers, they don't know anything. They just tell you what happened in the show with maybe one or two kind of superlative, like, an excellent show, and then that gets pulled out for marketing. And it, then five years down the track, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, you look it up, and you're like, oh, wow, that, this it sounds like it was, and then actually it was the world's worst show, you know. Right. Um, it reminds me of, like... Um like this notion of you know driving the market and like uh, coming to the market and producing works of dance that audiences wants to consume um, reminds me of this work that Chunky Move produced a few years ago called Something Along the Lines of What Do You Want mm-hmm. and is that what the show was called Something Along the Lines of What oh, Do You Want No 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 the oh, show right. was called What What Do You Want but I'm Think How do you good. like it? No, that's a Shakespeare. <laughs> As you like it. Yeah. Um, okay, keep going, keep going. And what was interesting about this particular work is that they sent out, you know, EOIs oh, yeah. and they asked mass audience members... That's a good idea. Subscri- ...subscribers, what do you want from this show? Um, and then in the weeks before its production, they tried to incorporate as many of those aspects as the audiences wanted as many, or that's how they made the show. Mm, true, yeah, probably how they Small but significant detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting if they made the show that way. Weird if they incorporated. <laughs> um, yeah, that's weird. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's 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 an unfortunate truth. I mean, it's a it's a kind of a systemic failing of our um, how we treat dance in this country. Um, you know, it's just not valued, right. you know, um, yeah. as a form other than a kind of, um, you know, the weirdos on the side or, um, you know, a way you can now put it into a gallery and freak gallery people out. It's, it's like a, it's a, it's a cheap move, you know, it's too easy. I, um, yeah, totally um, can relate to that. Um, uh, churning cheap tricks freaking people out in gallery spaces because at the moment I'm trying to build up you know like a basic like, resume or like CV to impress you know further people <laughs> and um, what I've found very easy to do and very cheap work and lazy work is to put something spectacular that is the moving body in a mm. gallery space mm. for you know bougie audiences mm. to come see and come mm. review and come freak out over yeah that's right but uh, it's too easy it is easy, but it's too easy. and it's often produced as cheap work as well because you mm. know, like gallery curatorial settings, you probably won't be paid very much. So you know, encourages you to make cheap work. And, mm. um, but at least building up your well, look, you know, it has its place, and I think that you know it can be done well, and at times it is. Um, you know, I think that it's easy. I think often too for 
like non-dance trained people to get kind of addicted yeah. to it you know and including it in their practices because it feels sort of fantastic and I mean I describe it as like um like surfing you know when surfers say like only a surfer knows the feeling yeah. sort of like that in dance you know you don't like unless you've really trained you don't really know what it's like um, yeah um so I, I love this notion of post-structuralist work in dance creation at the moment and um you know the audience is not the audience the choreographer is not the choreographer and the performer is not the performer I feel like you know like on a phenomenological scale the dancer is the sole audience yeah uh, always I mean definitely they're the only ones that really kind of have a real sense of of what's going on and then then that's also what's so boring about it right um what do you think because of just stay home and do it do it in your fucking bedroom like what am i why am i watching this you oh know? that's true um, why am i watching you wake on stage exactly on why am i watching this and i think that you know um i love that imagery <laughs> like because you know the the pleasures of dancing it's kind of like wanking and watching someone wank you're not really um watching someone mas- masturbate <laughs> you can edit that how you want Matt it's but, up to you yeah yeah but yeah it just becomes boring and I think that you then you also then say or at least I saw in my experience I mean I started working professionally in 2002 yeah um and you know and so it was a long time of like seeing stuff and it was really only a handful of shows that really ever blew your mind you really? know um, and, and I guess I mean it could just be me maybe my, my standards are too high no go for um, it but I was always really just thought things should be better than they were um, but I think too you know the more that I worked professionally and the more that I was in the studio as a dancer working with usually fools um choreographically i mean (laughs) people are gonna fucking hate me after this um but i mean i I guess more specifically i worked on you know a smattering of terrible shows with terrible people and it it becomes very difficult to justify the the own personal sort of struggles you go through to be a professional dancer um against that you know you think what's the quite literally what's the fucking point you know Mm. this is really difficult thing to do and you know you struggle you get injured you kind of all the rest of it it's really hard you live out of your suitcase um for what you know for not very much and so um but i mean for some people it's like they're happy there it's all they want you know all power to them you know it's none of my business what other people want to do with their careers and how they want them to operate, you know. That's really great that um, you said that because I have something really funny to tell you <laughs> on that serious note. Um, so I bump into Ryuichi Fumero oh, yeah. pretty often. Yeah. Have you seen him recently? No, no. He's shaved his face off. Right. Um, that must have hurt. <laughs> no, he just got a haircut and a shave. Um, but he looks very different. It took I me so imagine. long. It took me, it took me like a few more seconds to recognise him. He sat down and he was right. like, I want it. And I was like, Wow. Um, and I was telling so you him. The power of the face, see? Power of the face. Mm. I was telling him that I was um, interviewing you in a few days. 
and then you know asked him some advice and whatever. <laughs> and then he was like, "Oh, I know Dean." He said, um, "He said Dean looks a lot younger these days <laughs> since he's quit dance. <laughs> so he must be happy." <laughs> <laughs> that is the funniest thing. Ever. Yeah. There you go. There's probably a lot more other reasons for that too, but we yeah. won't go into that on on record. Why not? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, that's funny. I mean, it's true though. I think I was never really that happy as a dancer. You yeah, know? I didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. And it was just a thing that through QL two, which was definitely amazing, and and I have you know nothing but the like, biggest love and admiration for QL two and everything that they've done for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think that it also made me like single focused, you know, and. Um, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I have had, a re- I did have a really like wonderful career, at least you know, f- for myself. Um, very happy. I mean, it's a total contradiction to what I've just said, but I was also very happy with everything that I did and all the experiences that I was able to have. Yeah. Um, but now, as I kind of, as I've aged, I suppose, or moved away from dance, I sort of do ask. Well, I, I, I realise that actually my interests were always more broad. You know, and I always felt sort of reduced describing myself as a dancer. Um, and really, actually, I always just wanted to be an artist and considered an artist and be just an artist, you know. Um, right. And, and so, and again, I mean, that was another part of the reason why I sort of stepped away from dance. I made a, a theatre show a couple of years ago with no movement and everyone said, but, you know, you're a dancer, you're a choreographer, like, where's the dance? Like, when are you going to put yeah, the dance into the show, you know? This notion of where's the, like, product of the investment. Well, it's just expectation again, and yeah. I sort of was, I was really struck. I, like, was in my mid-twenties, and I thought, fuck that, you know, who the, who the fuck are you to tell me, like, who I am and what my work yeah. is? You know, I don't even know what, why, what's so fucking bizarre about just making a theatre show with no dance in it. I mean, it was sort of shocking how difficult it was for people to accept it. That's, you know, the the evidence of this capitalistic um, conveyor belt system. When I was with IV1 for her residency at, um, at Performance Space and then she presented it at Critical Path, she was saying, you know, her response to this notion of conveyor belt um, production and, you know, like our schooling systems with teachers mm. at front, mm. ar- aristocratical, um, mm. aristocratical um, education systems such as that, is preparing us for factory working and mm. for fac- to produce factory workers who understand and have this internal manual of how to operate things and how to think and um, how to perform. And so, mm. once again, we can see that you know valuing one system of something in re- as opposed to another. Whereas, I have been in contact with this artist called Wolfgang, and he leads this performance art company in Berlin. He has so much to say about neoliberalism that it's amazing. Um, you just rightly so. I mean, Berlin's ground zero in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. neoliberalism begins with the fall of the wall. Yeah. And so, I mean, it makes sense that you know a Berliner would have a lot to say about it. I mean, we should all have a lot to say about it. Yeah. It's just sort of surely the single most pressing issue of our time. I mean, people talk about the climate crisis, but that's a symptom. You know, we need to talk yeah. about the cause, which of course is neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. But I mean, again, it's not like a. It's it's just a it's a it's a shapeshifter, you know. It's it's always been around, um, 
it just became kind of what it is with the fall of the wall, yeah. Mm. Have you had much experience presenting or making art in Europe? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've, I've spent a bit of time at PATH, uh, Performing Arts Forum in um, France. Um, but beyond that, no, not really. I mean, I had an exhibition in Paris earlier this year, um, but I didn't go, unfortunately. Um, but no, not really. I mean, I, once I sort of left uni and I just kind of was always working, you know, project to project to project. And so I never um, had much time to, to go off to Europe or money um, to go off to Europe. I never went to an impulse dance. <laughs> As, as everyone wants and does, you know, and it was never a dance Weber um, or anything like that, you know. I think too, I mean, I'm being silly, but I also for a long time and even as a young man felt, um, felt a, a responsibility, a strong responsibility to, um, to have and establish a career here, you know, yeah. and... and sort of find that value because you know you'd see it in, in European companies would come and perform or whatever and um, everyone gets all excited oh it's from Europe you know it must be good um, and you know I thought I think and probably I don't know anymore but I mean you know there's no reason why people in Sydney can't make anything just as good as someone in Berlin mm-hmm. but because Australia has such a complex itself you know broadly more more culturally about the rest of the world we just sort of presume that anything that's made outside of Australia is just sort of automatically better unless it's maybe from New Zealand um, which we'll take it and then yeah, yeah that's right and if we think it's good then we'll claim it yeah. but um, I mean that's just like an ongoing kind of colonial hang up isn't it you know um, something that we need to let go of mm. have you ever thought um, in terms of what you said about having a responsibility to these I guess the Australian scene um, in art making and art producing, have you ever not considered, but um, to a perspective, than if you re-established a practice in Europe where you would be perceived as European? Um, I mean, I've never really thought about it. Um, I mean, my mother's family are Danish, yeah, um, and so I've always been curious, I guess, or um, interested in in understanding that lineage and that history as well and what sort of practice I could or would have if I lived and worked there. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the sort of things where you're like of a, a mixed heritage person like I am. Almost everyone is, but, um, you know, it's something I think about a lot where, like, why one over the other, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, for me it's pro- it's simple really because, I mean, it's it's here where, you know where I was born, it's here where I'm from, you know, and, um, you know, the, the kind of, there, there is something kind of, um, something bigger about that, you know, and if I'd grown up in Copenhagen, for example, uh, as opposed to here, then it might be the opposite, you know, I might feel, um, well, I would almost certainly feel more Danish, and then this, like, other side of my heritage, this Aboriginal side of my heritage, would be this kind of strange and confusing, far-off thing, yeah. you know, um, because of, yeah, I mean, circumstance and geography. Um, 
but I mean, it's a fun kind of thought game I play, you know, because it's sort of, it's like a what-if kind of game. Um, but I enjoy it, you know, because it's, it's, I think it's an important one to remind yourself what is your context and why one more so than the other culturally and historically. Yeah. And, and what, why, like, we obliterate one and focus on yeah yeah I mean it's it's sort of I think it's it's like a bigger a bigger conversation but yeah I mean I think um, I mean as well like there was a point to where I kind of something sort of clicked and I was I mean it was all happening around when um, when our kind of ex- expanded family picture arrived um, you know I kind of I remember before that having conversations with people, um, telling them about, you know, getting to know people, telling them about my life and, um, you know, people saying like, you know, you're Aboriginal. And you're like, nah, I don't, you know, I just never felt so like confident, you know. Um, but then, yeah, it's something kind of clicks and, and you realise, or I realise I felt that I have a kind of a responsibility to... to I guess, um, you know, there's so many people who have struggled so much before me um, that you, that I have some sort of responsibility to um, not just dismiss that because it's too, like, complicated um, to deal with, you know, um, which I guess is sort of what leads me to where I am now, making the work that I do now, um, out of kind of, I don't know, not obligation, but I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines, there. <laughs> obligation sounds bad, but no. Care, maybe. I don't know. I kind of um, also wanted to ask, and it might be very like, like insulting. <laughs> this will be good. Yeah, but like. <laughs> Did you, um, for for example, like applying for residencies at Carriage Works, mm. do you find that there is like an exoticization almost of Indigenous practitioners? Or? I don't know. I think that no. Um, because we just had this entire conversation. Well, no, but I, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's an important question. I think it can happen. I think it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. Um, there are certainly um, certainly places that are um, you know just trying to do the right thing you know which is always a good thing Um, I think that there are definitely places that um, are and continue to be exploitative and people that continue to be exploitative yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think it can happen, but um, no, I think generally, um, like, certainly not here. I don't, this doesn't, it's not the case at all. Um, I think it happens more in a commercial sense, you know, I think a commercial gallery kind of racket of, um, <laughs> Or like tokenism, but yeah, performativity um, and like you know sectioning off, bracketing off yeah. one part of you that is 
can perceived as, it can be perceived as being exotic. That's right. I mean, I think it's, I try and avoid that in my work, though. You yeah. Know, and I try and avoid that kind of. Um, to, I try and avoid making it too easy for for my work to fall into that category or allow other people to put me there quickly and easily. Um, but I mean, that's a work in progress in itself. I think it's like something that I'll be um, working with and dealing with until I die. Yeah. You know, till I till I I paint my last painting or whatever. Um, Just so that I can like have a like a clearer grasp on it. Can you tell me like what how you exhibit those? Oh well, I try not to. Um, I try and I guess subvert themes. Um, I try and use formal tactics as opposed to overt politicalness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is something um, poetic, or that there's there's um, you know room or avenues to be political and poetic. I don't think they're exclusive. Um, of each other and I think that there's actually something more potent about an idea or um, some sort of theme that is might be political or direct but is dealt with through poetry, visual poetry I mean, um, that is actually going to penetrate, you know, more so than some sort of like work that really just smashes you in the face with its political agenda. Um, that's kind of boring or it's just like I just think we kind of need to move beyond that frame or beyond that way of working um, I think as well with you know fair-skinned people fair-skinned Aboriginal people the tendency can be to over-identify in your work you know you make up for your lack of melanin with your blackness in your work yeah. um, which you know again like each to their own um but I just think that it, it, it can fuel, I think, the cycle of, like, mistrust or, like, um, people not wanting to accept or having trouble with accepting people um, and their heritage. Um, and I think, you know, um, I mean, you see it a lot in, like... I mean, there are just so many, so many cases of... Um, Aboriginal artists who get just like all sorts of terrible abuse because of a particular work that they made and people are like, you're fucking white, you know. Mm. Um, look at you, you're white. Yeah, um, but you don't... You don't like, oh, that's just... Of course, like a dumb thing to say, but it happens all the time. Um, and so, you know... And I mean, perhaps it's, uh, you know... Perhaps it's just that... Uh, I mean, I just think, yeah, we can kind of move beyond that direct that I think has existed in the past sort of 30 years of, of Aboriginal art. Yeah. Um, and because I think, you know, it's sort of like... Um, it's like a like a, an abusive lover, you know, where you don't know why, but you still sort of desperately need um, approval and or attention. Like, but actually, like, when if you just let go of that, you're like... I could not give a fuck if you what you think about me and like my life or my work. You know, it's got nothing to do with you. My Aboriginality's got nothing to do with anybody else. Um, then think what you want. 
you know, I'll work the way that I work. I'll make the work that I need to make. Um, and it's your business what you want to think about it, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's sort of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it looks that way. Maybe it doesn't, but uh, I don't know. Does that answer the question? Yeah. It's getting towards peak hour. You'll hear the trains, everybody, that to the, the multitudes of listeners, subscribe through iTunes. Click, click like or subscribe now. Um, you must be getting towards peak hour because the trains are starting. I wanted to like, also ask, I think you talked about it in your public engagement program. <laughs> I love how they lock you up into like studios and then demand some kind of public... Uh, it's it's it. good. It's all part of the fun and I think it's, um, it's the least we can do. Yeah, like the yeah. comical nature of it, I feel. It's the least we can do. Um, talking about the, um, that image that you had, it was... Um, was it Mary or something? Oh, Jesus, yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that there. I had a, a, a gallerist in here yesterday. And, um, and I guess, what day is it today? Monday. It must have been on Friday. And um, they kind of said, like, what's going on with that? But I keep it there as a reminder of the power of an image and the power of iconography. Mm. And um, in that it's possible but creating an image that can be transcendent and pervasive is possible yeah I don't know if I'm necessarily aspiring to that but I think um, aspiring to to making a transcendent image but um, I like knowing that it's possible yeah how are you going to elicit that possibility well, I mean, I just look at it, that's all. I mean, it just, it's just a gentle reminder. But if you were to comically push towards achieving that goal... Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I, 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 I would never... Um, I wouldn't try. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that it, you know, it happens. And, um, it's small. It's like that, um, you know, affirmation... Um, in every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Mm. Um, you know, it's like a bit of a, just a bit of a positive boost. For those listening at home, we're looking at a, um, a, a miniature cheap reproduction of a kind of, they're made in the 50s, I think. It's Jesus, Sacred Heart Jesus, white Jesus, trimmed beard, surfy hair, uh, Sacred Heart glowing. White um, Huh? White Jesus. Yeah, white Jesus. Um, you know, Google it, you'll see it. You can Google it while you're listening on whatever device you're listening on. <laughs> anything else? Any more? Any more questions? Want me to talk about anything else you can see? I totally wanted to ask you about, like, you know, like, um, you know, the mural behind. And the um, in somehow and in some transcendent way, I'm relating it to the topic when we spoke about um, obliterating one part. Mm. But I don't think it necessarily triggers that. But I feel like when we were talking about that topic, this image was just implanted in front of me. So now it's part of. <laughs> it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not such a bad example. I think um, like all of those works have. Um, um, so, I mean, I guess for those playing at home, they're large-scale um, paintings, collage collages, I guess, or semi-sculptural paintings um, made with sort of a combination of found and raw uh, materials, paint, photographs, a bit of possum skin. Um, um, and all of them have like hidden paintings so most of the canvases are double sided mm-hmm. or you're just seeing the back of, of a painting um, yeah I mean I think in those in, in those circumstances of those I think it's like just a way to remember or be reminded that like you know there's always other stuff happening under the surface always you know and that's both at like the, the, the micro and the macro um Things aren't ever what they seem. Yeah. Yeah, like this interesting environment and landscape of Chinese contemporary art at the mm. moment is what I just like, you know, pinged into my mind when you said that. Um, I've been invited to this festival and they want me to prevent, present work. Um, prevent work? That's interesting. Prevent work. That'll be an interesting project. Oh, <laughs> 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 <Right>, everybody, stop. <laughs> stop. Um, they want me to present work as part of this festival next year because I am ethnically a Chinese art maker who's been influenced mm. westernly, mm. westernly, mm. through Western mediums, I guess. Um, constantly about that um, Western validization at the moment, and I feel like I don't have enough knowledge on the subject to really cement it in like mm. a podcast, mm. but. Um, I think I'm just like sort of digesting all of this news at the moment where this um, consumption of everything modern but also very like selective or maybe yeah just interesting and so when is that what are you, and what are you going to do you don't know um, it's going to be next year but I was um, it's actually this week it's pretty fun Going there on Thursday. Oh, to where? To the festival, I guess. Wuzhen? Yeah, yeah. how do you know? Oh, so um, in my other life, uh, I work as a producer at Performing Lines, an associate producer at Performing Lines, and we've sent some people to Wuzhen. Oh, yeah, because uh, they Pony Express will be there, um, and our boss, and yeah, a bunch of people. No way. There you go. And so you're going to... As an Australian delegate. There you go. Oh, you'll meet Marion Potts, who's my boss. Lovely Amazing. Yeah, she's an absolute oh, okay. champion. Say hello. Introduce yourself when you meet her. Um, yeah. Hello, Dean Cross. Yeah, that's, that's all you need to say. She'll be right. Yeah, it'll be good. That's awesome. I love that. There you that's go. You'll have some friends. Connection. Next, what do you think of? Yeah. Oh, well, that must be soon. You must be leaving soon. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Oh, very good. This Thursday. There you go. Rujan looks like a great place. I've never been. No, me neither, obviously, but the photos look good. Anything else you want to say? Anything no, else anything else you need? Matt, anything else that you need from us?